Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Oh, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we're happy to have you join us here on, uh, right now it's a Thursday night. The first official Cards Camp practice is over. If you're joining us for the first time, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And I'm joined with my co-host as always. He's up over in Oregon right now enjoying slightly cooler weather. The venerable John Venerable. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Blake. Good to talk with you. On We're recording on a Thursday night, the uh, coincidental Thursday night uh, in correlation with the Cardinals' first official opening day in terms of highlights and semi-live practice, training camp kicked off today on, of course, July 25th. Blake, you had the opportunity to be in the building a mere couple hundred feet away, maybe less than that, from the likes of Kyler Murray and the rest of really a lot of new faces for the Arizona Cardinals I want to jump right into it. What were some of the major takeaways that you saw from training camp? I know a lot of information is out there, but I want to take it from your eyes only. What did you see from Kyler Murray and the rest of Cliff Kingsbury's regime here as we kick off 2019? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that stood out to me coming in was um, just where the Cardinals are at as far as how they've essentially, I guess you could say, evolved in some cases as a franchise. It felt very similar to, I know they added some music last year with Steve Wilkes, but with having kind of the rock playlist and everything with music throughout the practice. And also the fact that when you showed up and started watching the drills, the biggest first thing that you noticed was just the amount of four wide receivers that were on the field. Uh, It's one of the areas that we saw. People have talked about this a lot. Uh, We've kind of speculated if it would be mostly four wide would it be more of with having three wide receivers and one tight end Um, just from seeing what they're doing would cliff kingsbury essentially hide some of what he was showing at least for fans for what his offense would look like and it honestly looked very similar not identical per se but very very similar to what his offense looked like at texas tech which as we know is focuses on spreading the field out forcing teams to have to cover all areas of the field And as a result, having less players in the box where when you saw David Johnson would get a handoff or uh, on the one occasion when Kyler Murray did actually use his legs and ran, which kind of had a, I guess you could say some shocks and uh, shock and some gasps from at least people followed by applause when he did keep the ball on a read option. There's just a lot less players for David Johnson to have to get away from because they were having to cover wide receivers. And in that case, it's almost reminds me of, and we've talked about this as well, but with Mike McCoy and his offense last year, 
we talked so much about how they took David Johnson and did nothing but run him straight up the middle into the box where there was a ton of guys there and the offensive line was not able to run blocks. So just by tweaking and changing that scheme, it automatically kind of has catapulted the Cardinals into an area where uh, the way I described it is just the offense in general. It feels like you went back to the 1930s and you handed like a guy who was just there an iPhone. That's kind of like the revelation of how it is of just the transformation of it feels like that you're kind of uh, you've taken this big leap, at least into the modern era of football, Jones. That's kind of the first takeaway that I had. And it's maybe the biggest we'll get into Kyler Murray in a second. But that was the biggest thing I saw was whatever we talked about, whatever they said about, oh, this will be a pro air raid. There's not going to be all of these concepts They they were all there. There was a few things that you could probably pull in, but for the most part, it did look like it was ultimately a a college offense, not necessarily saying lack of complexity, but in, at least in terms of form of how the identity of the team was structured, it's very strong in the mold of Cliff Kingsbury and what he ran at Texas Tech. Yeah, that was evident. Uh, I think even in the brief clips that I saw on the team site, um, my biggest takeaway just from watching it from afar um, just the team speed, I think, is going to be significantly upgraded, needless to say, from what they were kind of trotting out last year. Um, you think about the upgrades that they've made at receiver. They've got probably the fastest quarterback in football currently with, with Murray, a legitimate 4-3 threat, um, specifically out of the shotgun. Um, so I think just from an athletics athleticism standpoint, um, offensively, that that should be huge. Your your ability to uh, make plays out of the pocket, that being Murray, and the receivers being able to take it the extra mile. I mean, especially after Christian Kirk went down last year, the Cardinals really had no significant scoring threat in the passing game. Um, they were just weren't accurate enough to get the ball to Fitzgerald, and the rest of the, the receivers were were adequate, if if not below average. And this year, with with the explosiveness of three or four of these new players. Um, that allows you to have some hiccups schematically and still be able to take the top off the defense and, you know, make plays again with your feet. And, you know, I'm excited to see that element because I think at the end of the day, we know there, there are going to be hiccups with this team, both offensively and defensively, but at the same time, you know, at elite athleticism from certain players can overshadow, um, you know, early growing pains. And I think Kyler is the perfect example of that. He's not going to be perfect, um, each and every Sunday, especially during the first half of the season. Um, but like you just mentioned, Blake, he'll make enough s- splash plays specifically on the run, moving outside the pocket, setting his feet, um, you know, looking downfield. I think I read uh, today he was incredibly accurate, which should come to no surprise of, of anybody. He was in the high 60s in terms of completion percentage, low 70s mm-hmm. for, for most of his career last year at Oklahoma. So um, I, I think that that on top of his arm strength makes him just an elite threat from the pocket, but let me ask you this break and and a follow-up question Mm -hmm. about the offense. Schematically, you know, you talked about running four wide receivers. I think I saw a majority toward the tail end of the offensive practice. Um, Who were, who were the four receivers um, that were getting majority of the the time with the ones? And do you see that just being kind of a, a ceremonial thing? You give the first crack to the veterans uh, or do you do you see the the younger kids integrating here in the next couple of days? Yeah, I think at least right now it seems that it's the same as it was when we were talking about in rookie minicamp and in OTAs, which we know that it was 
Fitz and Kirk were the two guys who were not going to come off the field. Along with David Johnson, they would um, substitute him out for a running back if he needed a breather just because of it's a you know, physical position. Um, but the other two guys that were after that were Trent Sherfield was on the field, Kevin White was on the field, and occasionally when they had, did have five wide, or there are five wide receivers not including a running back, there was Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, and so it seems like with Kevin White, um, the best thing I can kind of look at it for those as far as the role was he was kind of like the Michael Floyd outside contested catch receiver to run downfield and then jump up and make a play on the ball. He had a excellent catch from Kyler Murray earlier this year. Um, and I think that's kind of something where a lot of fans are wondering, you know, is he even a guy who's going to make the roster? I wonder how much of it is, you know, the opportunities, how much of it is the fit. And I wonder how much of it is kind of as maybe a one year type of placeholder for a guy like a Hakeem Butler to take on a similar role. Um, but right now, what, what did stand out to me was outside of Keyshawn Johnson um, it was those two who were the veterans in White and Sherfield who were getting the majority of the the first team reps. There wasn't as much that you saw with Farrow Cooper or with Demir Bird, uh, respectively numbers 12 and 14, but there were times with the drills that they rotated in uh, with some of the ones at least a little bit more than the likes of Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler. So I think that some Cardinals fans might be a little bit, you know, put off by some of that, but it's also a reminder of when we were at this point last year, Christian Kirk was essentially the you know fourth wide receiver on the roster with the Cardinals. And right. we were talking about Bryce Butler and Greg Little were getting the majority of the snaps. So I don't think it's a guarantee at this point, but if you are in the ability to have, you know, veterans who are able to lead and take on a lot of the burden and, you know, knowing that they're not going to mess up as much and you can work in the rookies with their specific roles in mind, that might be an optimal way versus as we saw last year with the Cardinals, when you do end up having a team of rookies with a rookie quarterback and a rookie center, having to hand it off to a rookie running back in Chase Edmonds and your rookie wide receiver is probably your best overall threat that was where you just kind of saw a 3-13 and season ultimately. So what I think was interesting to me was, even though the majority was four wide and, you know, the 11 personnel, which is, when we say 11, you think of it as that's the number of running backs and the number of tight ends for those if you're not as familiar. One running back uh, and then one tight end. So if you've got, uh, you know, 11 personnel, there's zero wide receivers that you can count however many <laughs> They're left over. So 11 personnel means there's one tight end, one running back. The 12 personnel, then would be two tight ends. What was interesting to me was that they didn't use very much, if anything at all, of the 12 personnel with the two tight ends. But there was an interesting example where Cliff Kingsbury showed off a bit of play design where you had your typical, you know, one wide receiver up top, one running back, two tight ends, kind of your power blocking scheme. And suddenly the two tight ends split out. And the running back, who I believe was DJ Foster, split into a wide receiver role. And suddenly you're in kind of a five wide situation. So your defense, which had been preparing to have, you know, tough, strong guys against the run up the middle. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to have coverage issues. If they've got, you know, a linebacker who has to cover uh, the likes of, say, a Christian Kirk. There was another play that Cliff Kingsbury ran. And this is kind of when we talk about, you know, play call and design, where there's a little bit of the idea of, 
uh, kind of a chess move of they did that same exact type of play where they started to do a kind of a what looked like a pitch run off to the left hand side. But Chase Edmonds, so you're thinking, okay, everyone's drifting, shifting, moving over to the left. Looks like they just pitched it to Chase Edmonds. But Brett Hundley was the quarterback at the time, held on to the ball and then turned to his right. And there was a tight end on the right hand side where absolutely no one was standing around. And Max Williams, who was able to pick up the ball and then run forward. So it's the idea, at least, of when you're talking about hiring uh, a coach, at least, as far as what the offensive mind who's able to, you know, be able to play in these chess matches. We've seen it with Kyle Shanahan in the division. We've seen it with uh, a guy like, um, uh, you know, even with talking about with Sean McVay, especially of just being able to have that type of offensive whenever you're having issues or problems of still being able to adjust and adapt and also being able to find different things and tendencies on film. That's something that the Cardinals really, they had with Bruce Arians, but I don't know if they've had it to this type of a level because of the the way the offense is structured is it's even much more adaptable than Arians was because Arians would still be the guy who would pound it on first down, run it up the middle. You got, I think, a lot more of, I guess, little, the best way I can describe it is pizzazz with Cliff Kingsbury in this offense where you're going to have the ability to run in the football if you want with that look, but you're also going to be able to take advantage of mismatches. And so that was encouraging to me. Now, it is, it is to say this is... Uh, Obviously, in camp and in practice, last year, I know we talked about how there were plays where David Johnson lined up as a fullback for Chase Edmonds and was able to take a pass. And we never saw that actually happen in any type of a game, much less for that one. So it's something that, you know, these are practices they are working on items. But it was definitely interesting because it wasn't like for all the secretiveness that they had of the offense. It did feel like that there was some holding back that Cliff Kingsbury still had where you got to see kind of little snippets of some of those creative play calls but you didn't ever get to see him like throwing the whole gauntlet, at least on the field, with everything for the world to see. So that'll be something at least to look forward to, as far as the uh, as far as the scheme is concerned, John. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be diverse. We know that we're going to see a lot of guys get a lot of different opportunities. I think the best point you made was the fact that Christian Kirk, who probably was the Cardinals' offensive MVP, certainly up until his injury last year. Uh, didn't get significant reps at receiver, um, you know, as a top 40 draft pick. Didn't see considerable reps until probably late in the preseason, and then eventually cracked um, the starting lineup. I do think Cliff Kingsbury is much going is is going to be much more forgiving um, with dealing with rookie mistakes uh, and and you know playing through those those rookie concerns, that rookie learning curve with some of these younger guys, just because they are so talented. Um, and we talked about. Keyshawn Johnson being probably one of the, the biggest surprises um, in terms of the, um, you know, the chatter we've heard around um, league executives and team officials basically saying that he is, we knew this, he, he was one of the more refined route runners in the entire draft, but, you know, he doesn't do anything exceptional. Um, and you could question how high his ceiling is, but for, for the, the opportunity to get him for, I believe, a six round pick. And now mm-hmm. you, you think that he is going to be somebody who could see uh, significant reps this year. And even as a rotational player, that's still phenomenal value. Right. Um, I, I think that just on the surface, based on where they're at from a developmental standpoint, you would feel more comfortable about Keyshawn and Andy Isabella receiving the bulk of the playing time from the rookies and not to dismiss Hakeem Butler, because obviously I think you and I both feel like he's got the highest ceiling, but just from a, a route running precision standpoint, I think he is 
the biggest uphill um, battle in terms of early playing time. Um, I think we've we've always envisioned him kind of taking that big receiver role away from Larry Fitzgerald eventually once Larry opts to retire, or maybe not. Maybe he's maybe Larry you know saddles underneath uh, as one of the underneath receivers, and Hakeem plays the X like he did at Iowa State. I mean, just the the possibilities for this offense again. There's just so much opportunity for you know, interchangeability, if that's even a word. Mm-hmm. And then you've got David out of the backfield. I think just that that's what gets, I think, a lot of these young players excited because even if they're not starting early on, number one, injuries happen, unfortunately, but also just you're, you're going to want to keep guys fresh. You want to continue to rotate right. players out. They're not going to be so stagnant and slow. Um, and we know Kyle, Kyler likes to, to spread the ball around. So does Cliff. So that's that's exciting to hear. Yeah, ex- for me. Oh, yeah. Go I was going to say the other thing that you even talked about with Hakeem Butler was he did not line up in the slot at all from what I saw. So it seems like that they do well, have him go. in that might have X role, which maybe he can move into the slot right now. You've got Fitz and Kirk seem to be the ones that were there, but uh, they seem to have that specific role set up for him on the outside, being able to go downfield, at least as that type of a threat. Maybe similar to what the Seahawks would be doing with the DK Metcalf. But if that's where they see him, then that's great because the Cardinals, as we said, John, last year they did not have that type of guy on the roster. You thought that maybe Chad Williams could be that guy, but that seemed to be where he, he put him. And that's one thing I do at least agree with is um, just the one of the other points about this offense I did want to make was it's going to be very, very fast paced, but it's not. And when I say that, most people immediately jump to Chip Kelly and the idea of, an offense that moves so quickly that all of a sudden that if they go three and out, the defense is tired. Um, they did have a couple areas. Where they showed that there's still flexibility there. It's not that they're going to be dogmatically positioned in that sense like a Chip Kelly was. They showed one snap where Kyler actually was under center and basically did like a, a you know, a handoff at least for that under center. And then another play where um, they actually huddled up before going. They didn't just snap. But on average, when I watched the drills, I timed like in between the claps that they had for between uh, Murray and Hundley. And on average, it was between 15 to 20 seconds per play. That's how quick that they finished the play, wow. got up to the line, and ran another play. It was between 15 to 20 seconds. Wow. So what's great about that was that when you can process that quickly, you can run plays, you're going to be able to have, like, an, as we remember with Chip Kelly, you know, their first year when they had the talent, they had a 10-6 and six record. And yeah. Nick Foles had the, you know, that crazy was a 17 touchdowns, two interception type season that people were convinced that he was the next big thing. This was it. And then when the talent dried up and Chip Kelly essentially kept running the same four plays, then you ended up having all sorts of issues where the defense got tired and he ended up moving to San Francisco where there was less talent ended up out of the NFL and, you know, just a quick four years because it's a not for long league. But that was the other thing that stood out was, the speed of the game is going to be very interesting because I think some defenses, it will be very difficult for them to be able to understand or stop the Cardinals because, as we talk about, John, you're going to face the likes of Steve Wilkes on defense this year. And, you know, there's already Browns fans are like, well, I hope that he's not going to play, you know, his two cover corners that far back. But if you're going to talk about, you know, with how Steve Wilkes and his defense or other coordinators did against the likes of the Rams or the Niners or the Kansas City Chiefs, then I do think that you'll have the element of being able to outmatch and outgun several of these defenses, at least just from the the pacing that you're going to have. So that's one of the things that's interesting because we'll have to see how it will turn out in the season. If it's going to be right now, obviously compared to last year, it's at least an improvement, but it also is a huge improvement in volume. Um, just because I think what you talked about, John, if guys are going to be on the field a lot and get tired, 
you're going to need to see Andy Isabella out there. You're going to need to see Keyshawn Johnson, and you're going to need to see even guys like Kevin White. Um, if Farrah Cooper sticks on the roster as a return man, um, I, I, it'll be interesting if he does that. He'd have to wow, I think, at punt return to be able to make it ahead of some of those guys. But you're going to be having a lot of volume for guys that happen just because of the number of plays. So that's why fantasy experts, I think, are excited for the Cardinals especially. But it's also in a spot where you're going to have a lot of reps and a lot of development for guys just out of that mindset. So I think there's going to be a lot of Cardinals players who, in essence, are going to be, you know, coming in, filling a certain role that Cliff Kingsbury has for them, and then potentially leaving to other teams in a few years, and you'll be able to replicate and replace that. So that's one of the things I think that will be interesting to watch is what the scheme does, how it looks, or if it changes at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's, We've we've seen enough, I think, from Kingsbury at the college level to know that, you know, they struggled as a team and you know specifically defensively, but they were always a top, for the most part, top five, top ten offense um, from a national perspective. Now, you know, the level of competitions, you know, ramped up to a hundred compared to what you saw um, in the Big Twelve. But what I will say is that I don't see him being uh, the kind of personality Chip Kelly was. You hear stories specifically out of his time in, in San Francisco. Uh, first of all, he got too much say over the personnel in Philadelphia. I actually thought he did a, a decent coaching job those first couple of years. But then, yeah, transitioning to what he did in San Francisco, somebody who tried to outthink the room, got a big head, um, got away from what he did best, which was just call plays and, and scheme up things offensively. That's what makes Belichick the best is that he somehow yeah. can carry all of that. Um so moving on to um, a couple position battles, but specifically a positional group that I think a lot of eyes are going to be on in the preseason, that being the offensive line. Um, one of the things that we haven't been able to talk about recently, and I'll just quickly recap it for those of you who mm-hmm. may, may not have heard this, um, the Cardinals claimed uh, an offensive tackle early this offseason from the Cleveland Browns that we were pretty excited about. Blake Desmond Harris Harrison uh, was an undrafted rookie for the Browns last year. Um, started, I think, you know, a handful of games, maybe a little bit more, and um, had a respectable season for them. Ended up getting cut by the Browns this offseason uh, for missing a practice, being late. I think had some immaturity issues. The Cardinals, of course, jumped out at considering uh, and claimed him considering their lack of tackle depth. And then um, last week on July 17th, uh, Harrison was released after some um, some really disappointing assault charges came against him against a woman in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I think there was a felony arrest warrant out for him. I'm not sure if he's been arrested or not at this time, but of course the team went ahead and and cut him, which they obviously should have done considering the charges out there. Um, But now they're incredibly thin once again at the tackle position. I know a lot of people have been clamoring for the likes of Donald Penn, a former Oakland uh, left tackle standout player, been in this league a long time. Well, it's kind of a, a weird twist of fate. He's in Washington right now doing a visit because their Pro Bowl left tackle, Trent Williams, is holding out for a new deal, which they don't want. So there's been some speculation that he may be available. Where does that leave the Cardinals? Well, I can tell you right now, the starting offensive line, at least for the first day of training camp, albeit without pads, was, of course, DJ Humphreys and Marcus Gilbert, left and right mm-hmm. tackle. Um, Justin Pugh at left guard. J.R. Sweezy is at right guard. And then the biggest point of contention, I think, amongst the fans and myself, A.Q. Shipley coming off major surgery in the offseason, missing all of last year. He's 33 years old, really has no future with this team. 
is your starting center, at least for today. And Mason Cole, who started 16 games last season, took a beating as a rookie, but got some valuable reps in the process. Somebody the Cardinals, um, you know, sunk a, a third rounder into a couple of years ago out of Michigan is right now a backup. Now, Kingsbury was asked if, who the starting center is right now. And he says, we have two of them. We've got to figure out which one it's going to be. A.Q. Shipley versus Mason Cole uh, via Kyle Oldegaard on the team's website. One of the main camp battles. To me, Blake, and I'll let you shine some light on this as well and on the offensive line as a whole, but probably one of the most disappointing things that we've seen, um, even though, of course, it's going to be a camp battle, I would have loved to have seen Mason Cole run away with this job, impress the the new staff uh, enough in the offseason with you know increased physical strength in the weight room, uh, understanding knowledge of the playbook. So he just he slides right in there against a 33-year-old that's rehabbing and says, nope, this is my position. Uh, I have a firm grasp on this because I think Kingsbury would be would be open and, and willing to say, hey, you know, he played all last year. He took his lumps. He looks even better this year. We're excited about the future he has. But right now he's competing against a player who has been, been fine for the Cardinals. I think AQ Shipley's been steady. Um, I, I certainly don't think he is, you know, a top, you know, 16 uh, center, a top half yeah. in the league center, especially at his age coming off major injury. I think he'd be great as a, as a depth player. But again, it's, it just goes to show you the Cardinals just have, for whatever reason, um, they just have such a tough time drafting and developing offensive linemen, um, whether it's the first, second, or third round. Um, it, it, it just it, it gets me frustrated to the point, Blake, where it's just like, what more can we ask of them when they sink picks into the offensive line? You know, we saw this a few years ago uh, with another mid-round guard, I believe, uh, in the fourth round. His yeah, name Evan is Bame. Evan Bame, who basically yeah. was unplayable, and they ended up cutting him. And I remember when he was drafted, I really liked him coming out. And, and now it looks like we could see something similar. I don't want to get ahead of myself with Mason Cole, but I was just so disappointed to see that that he was already losing reps to A.Q. Shipley. I mean, Mason Cole should be playing every down. Um, they should be riding him. He should he should be the kind of player we talk about ascending to that next level. Of course, you know nobody projects him to be a Pro Bowl player at this point, but just somebody who's a, who's a constant on the offensive line. He was an Ironman at Michigan. He played every, every down last year for the most part, mm-hmm. didn't miss a game. Uh, the Cardinals need that. They need some continuity on the offensive line, especially when you're breaking in a rookie quarterback for the second straight season. And just to see A.Q. Shipley get reps at this point, it's just disheartening for me, Blake. Yeah, and I think that the hope you would have for Cole is that this turns into a Bobby Massey-type situation where Massey played his rookie year, started, I believe, all uh, unless I'm mistaken, all 16 games and uh, in 2012. And then essentially was demoted to the swing tackle in 2013 as the team went out and signed Eric Winston. But he comes back in 2014, starts with the team through that 2015 season, and then gets a handsome contract from the Chicago Bears and essentially ends up being, you know, probably a top 15 right tackle in the NFL. That's what I think you'd hope for with Mason Cole. I think it'll depend a lot on how he does as far as with the snapping, with the shotgun snaps, because as we know, that was kind of an issue last year where Cole was not a guy who played in the spread. We even talked about how there was a possibility we'd heard of if the team had wanted to look for a center last year, uh, or this year, excuse me, in the NFL draft, that they may have drafted one because of the actual need of having a guy who could essentially shotgun snap. The guy they did end up signing at least, um, Played a lot more guard today, at least, uh, than center, but still did get some snaps at center was Lamont Galliard. Um, he was out of Georgia. 
he seems like he's the only player I saw at least who played both center and guard. So that does seem to me at least to indicate that he could end up getting a spot on the team. Was he working on the second or third team, Blake? Third team. Uh, Cole, I will say, did actually end up rotating in with snaps for AQ Shipley at times, where there were times that you'd see, there would say four snaps you'd have in a row. First two would be AQ Shipley. He'd jog off Mason Cole would jog on, and then Cole would kind of continue on as Brett Hundley took over, just as kind of the round that you would think of as far as when it comes to with drills. So I don't think that it's a settled battle yet. Uh, I think, like, as you said, coming off of the ACL, it does look like he's set. What I will say that was most interesting, and this is something that I'll have to check out a bit more moving forward, was you got to see when Kyler Murray was in, whether it's because, you know, he's the number one overall pick, so you don't want to get close to him. But there was just a noticeable amount of, time and a lack of bodies that were there essentially there was a pocket for kyler murray when you had that starting offensive line that was in which is exactly what you would want to see the issue came when brett hunley came in you automatically would see at least that the pocket not that it would cave in or collapse but there were a lot more bodies flying around getting a lot closer and some of that you might say is you know more natural for the backups but to me it's just more of a sign of that this is a cardinals team as we've talked about john that still just does not have the depth that you'd like for them to have. And when you're talking about starters that have been injured as much as the Cardinals have, we've talked already about how DJ Humphreys has had injury issues. Justin Pugh went to IR last year. AQ Shipley, at least as you said, coming off the ACL, has been essentially kind of the most steady force they've had. Uh, J.R. Sweezy has been kind of an Iron Man. He's been getting up there somewhat in age. And then obviously last year, I think there were two games missed by... Uh, the right tackle in um, coming from their Marcus Gilbert coming over from the Steelers in a trade for one of those yeah. sixth round picks. So if that's the case, you're hopeful that Mason Cole at least would be able to step up and be kind of that second force either at a guard position or I, at center. And so that's where you have to watch in camp and see because with Evan Bame, it was kind of that type of a story where he just was not able to hold up at least in protection. He was a bit small, got bullied around. So that will be the one area I'll want to watch for to find out, you know, if Cole's future is going to be with this team as a future starter. Uh, I think that's kind of the unfortunate aspect of this area here is if he's not able to kind of secure the starting job by next year, it seems pretty obvious that given where we've seen with the Cardinals in the past, they'll be content to move on to find a better person. But right now it does at least from, you know, what we saw today, it seems like AQ Shipley is kind of the guy who's starting there and it seems like he's been doing a fine job. Doesn't seem like there's been, you know, issues. We'll have to obviously monitor how that goes, but at least overall, you're encouraged by the fact that at least with, as of last year, you could tell Andre Smith, it was not going to work out with him. He's been, um, apparently is going back to the Bengals since they've had a uh, rash, at least of injuries, it seems that they've been struck with uh, on the tackle position. But he was signed to be the starter, paid about $12 million, I believe. Terrible. And it was pretty obvious from the start that... He was kind of like the version of a matador, at least with the cape of pass rushers were just being able to get by for the most part. He didn't offer enough benefit in the run game. I don't think you have that same problem this year. I think the issue you may have this year is uh, looking at it if it ends up being more like the 2016 season where uh, the Cardinals signed Evan Mathis. He wasn't able to kind of cement the position and they kind of floundered a bit on the line throughout the year uh, as well as the skill position players. So the, the nicest thing, at least overall, is when you're talking about a player with Kyler Murray who's got the ability and the speed and the flexibility of Cliff Kingsbury in his offense, I don't think it's going to turn into an area where you're going to have to worry about Kyler going out and taking five sacks in a game, like with last year with Josh Rosen, both due to the athleticism 
and also because you're not going to be in a position where uh, now we'll, we can Slow, talk a bit about the defense. The post, but, seven step drops, yeah, it's receivers and, who could separate. Exactly you know. where you're having to be there. The thing that stood out at least a lot as far as with this in an offense is how quick the ball does get out. Because when you're talking about you know 20 seconds from play to play. It's not like you're having to take a long seven-step drop for that one after you're coming out of a huddle and then going through. You're going to end up having at least some of the protection that I think will come ultimately is going to be in the design of the offense. And for that matter, as far as if you had to sum up what the offense looked like in general from start to finish, the best thing I can say is it's like someone decided to say, hey, let's take Kyler Murray's collegiate offense at Oklahoma, we'll drag it and we'll drop it onto an NFL playing field. That was the exact feel you had. You saw the same deep shots, the quick throws you saw a play where kyler essentially like you know had a bit of play action and then the pocket moved slightly to the right where you know he runs a bit to the right and then is able to launch it deep and some of that obviously makes up for the height that he has in some cases but it did look just like that oklahoma offense and now the question people have had is can you have the oklahoma offense in the nfl without that same oklahoma offensive line and that's something john that remains to be seen we may get a bit of a glimpse of that during the preseason but probably won't be at least until week one against the Lions that we'll get the best approach of how this protection will actually work. And uh, again, the one thing we'll have to be aware of that's really unfortunate, but definitely bears mentioning the last two years in a row at the red and white practice, we've seen the Cardinals have at least one projected starter go down with an ACL tear. In 2017, we saw that with Ronald Zamort, who is the starting, uh, at the time, the number two corner opposite Patrick Peterson, uh, with Brandon Williams at least, was in uh, 2016, I believe, at least. Kind of just had moved on. 2017, Zamort was there. I believe it was Marcus Cooper, unless I'm mistaken, at least, who was the one who took over in that 2017 year uh, as the number two corner. I do know at least, uh, I think it was maybe, um, unless I'm mistaken, Tremaine, um, Tremaine, Let's see if I remember at least that with the Packers, at least I know was signed. Tremont Williams is the one who ended up being signed partway through camp. As the kind time sign, um, I do think that this year's kind time sign that to me will maybe not stand out as far as having an instant impact or a role. But um, the it was interesting that already it seems that the uh, team has just kind of gone out and signing some linebackers or looking for offensive tackle help. I think that they are still going to need to sign an offensive tackle. They've got less than $3 million in cap room, obviously. So I think, yeah, I it's think it's going to be if, something that you're going to have to probably sign that. Or if someone goes down to injury, you're going to be using it, the cap space for that. I think that's the prime position to add a player up front, um, a, a player on the offensive line that has the ability, maybe even to play multiple positions. Um, what I can tell you is, I, from a from a bystander's perspective, I think they're a little bit in a little bit better place than they were last year from a depth perspective. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's still not good. I wouldn't classify it even as as a, as good quality depth. But I will say, Corey Cunningham played some last year, um, mm-hmm. and you you would assume he's he's going to be better this year. Um, is he athletic enough to play in Kingsbury's offense? You would hope, um, but he's going to be. Uh, some kind of a interchangeable piece on the on the backup offensive line. I actually think Max Garcia, if he can uh, prove he's healthy enough to play, um, I you know I, I've never been a big J.R. Sweezy fan. I think he's a replacement level player, uh, but I actually I, I think he's got experience, obviously with with the offensive line coach Kruger Krugler from um, Denver. And so there's there's some continuity there that I like, and I think that that I would have no problem with him stepping in at right guard. 
So there's two players that they didn't have last year, who I or in terms of Cunningham and where he was, that I think could be um, factors at some point, spot starters, that that kind of thing. And then of course we talked about they didn't have AQ Shipley last year, so we've already got three players who I think like we would feel comfortable starting in a given situation. If you had Cunningham starting, if you had Garcia starting, if you had Shipley starting or Cole, I think we'd feel comfortable with that. Now they, they just, they don't have those road graders up front. They don't have those consistent. I mean, I think their best offensive lineman, if he, if he's healthy and he plays up to his capabilities, Marcus Gilbert, Marcus Gilbert has been a top 10 right tackle in this league. Somebody who was consistently um, dominant at times with the Pittsburgh Steelers has run into some hiccups off the field uh, some suspensions, um, and but I, I remember that could, could be one of the more sneaky under the radar pickups when they got him well before the draft. I think right before free agency started. So yes, while I will admit that I, I'm not happy with the depth that they have uh, at the tackle position, I think that they're in a better place than a year ago. And like you mentioned, when you have Kyler Murray up front, you have the ability. Or excuse me, when you have Kyler Murray in the backfield. You you have the ability to elude a lot of those sacks. Now, what I what I worry about is that they become too reliant on his mobility. I think where when you know Russell Wilson, in my opinion, was his most dangerous. I think when the when the Seahawks were so dominant, I get that they were a defensive heavy team, but they just I feel like the Seahawks asked Russell to do too much now, and he's overcompen he's been asked to overcompensate for a, a deteriorating offensive line. When they were able to maul you up front, and then he had the ability to tuck it with play action and manipulate the defense. And they, they rode him to multiple, you know, Super Bowl appearances and, and a Super Bowl berth was when they had really quality players up front. And the Cardinals, just for whatever reason, continue to lack those individuals, whether it be ignorance in the draft, whiffs and free agency. And so, you know, my, my biggest hope is that this year, and I think this is realistic expectations, frankly, is that you come away with it with one player going into the next year that you're excited about up front. And then you have the ability in free agency with a with a really good amount of money to add maybe one or two additional starters. And then this offensive line class, according to Bleacher Reports, Matt Miller, is probably – and I don't want to be talking draft right before training camp. But I will <laughs> say this, 2020's offensive line draft um, has an opportunity to be one of the best since the tackle draft where I just mentioned Trent Williams and um, the, the kid from uh, Seattle that's in uh, L.A. now with the chart. I mean – there were multiple tackles taken uh, early in that draft that went on to be really good Pro Bowl level players. I think this year, I mean, I'm in I'm in Eugene, Oregon. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country, and mm-hmm. I, I think we would all take what they have up front, just switch it with the Arizona Cardinals today. They've got four players who are, I think, legitimate top fifty, top seventy five prospects with one or two elite players. So, um, my my goal is let's let's try to get one or two guys to develop. That's why I was hoping it would be Mason Cole because I, I still don't think DJ Humphreys has a future with this team. Even if he plays well, you're, you're not going to give him a big deal. You're going to franchise him, make him do it again. You know, Who knows? Marcus Gilbert may turn into a nice addition for a year or two, but he's not anything you're going to consistently you know, ride with for, for the duration of the next five years. So I just I want to see an emergence from somebody young on the offensive line that we can get excited about next year because I know that they're, hopefully they're going to throw a lot of resources there. Yeah, and I think that's where the question you have, obviously we talked about this, John, is you're not going to be able to fix everything in one offseason, but you did mention at least as far as where the team is at now, where last year they had so many rookies starting, where Corey Cunningham was having to make his first start. They also were 
ravaged by injuries. Um, one of the things that will be interesting to watch will be not just Cunningham, who seems to be kind of the backup right tackle, uh, Reese Odiambo, who came over from the Seahawks. He spent two years there. He actually started in place for a little bit for George Fant up until the team traded for Dwayne Brown from the Texans. Um, they at least had enough cap space to be able to make the move and then pay him the following offseason. Um, but uh, Odiambo, at least for the most part, you look at what he did. He started about 16 games in his career for the most part, and he started uh, last year in one game was kind of a sign, I believe, in like for just before the last game of the season, at least, that he actually was able to play and start. So they seem to at least have those two guys set. And then, as I mentioned, with Galliard being kind of that backup center guard swinging. You mentioned Max Garcia. He hasn't been playing. He's still on the pup list, but... It does feel at least that there's a bit more depth for the most part. The question I think that people will have is, is the offensive line good enough with the talent? The counter question I'm curious about will be how much of having Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's scheme, which is, uh, we kind of mentioned it before, under Kingsbury, they only allowed a sack on 3.7% of the dropbacks, which is the fourth lowest rate of any NCAA team per the PFF Cardinals Twitter account. And quarterbacks were knocked down 9.5% of the time, the eighth lowest rate. So part of the reason why that is important, why that even takes place, is because, as we talk about, of getting the ball out quick and having a quarterback that can get up to the line quick, quickly read the defense, and get the ball out where the defense doesn't have a chance to really get there. And that's where I wonder if we saw that somewhat with Josh Rosen where the sacks went down once Byron Leftwich took over and got the ball out of his hand almost a full second quicker. The issue that was still as far as when it came to reading the defense and the lack of a run game was that they obviously were still having to run the ball up the middle twice and then would end up in these third and 11 situations. And suddenly Aaron Donald is immediately on with pressure up the middle. That's going to be the interesting question. You're right, John. Is Does the season essentially hinge on the success of the offensive line? I could see at least enough of the play calling that the the one area I'm curious about will be, is this turned into a spot where it's kind of like the the Seattle Seahawks in general of their teams the last couple of years where they had terrible offensive lines. They were still productive. They still could run the ball. They still had Russell Wilson and his mobility to be able to both escape sacks, make plays happen, and still would obviously have a lot of hits and a lot of pressure. I'm just very curious, John, if is this going to be kind of a case where people are – I guess I could say overrating the offensive line, at least from the first practice. I would say that I think you're absolutely correct in being worried about the depth that this team has at the offensive line. That's why I think I would recommend going and signing a guy. Um, or if they need to, or they have the capabilities at least freed up to be able to make a trade midseason for a player. I would not be opposed to that at all if they're able to pull that off. And But I just wonder, is it that we're overrating the line a little bit as far as just because of the fact that this isn't going to be that same Cardinals team from last year? They at least have, I guess, more capable hands that are put in place. That's what I'm wondering, John, is I I think that maybe it's not the concern as much as I think I can say it this way. I'm not as concerned as I was about the offensive line, but I'm not going to foolhardily say that it's not a concern at all for me for the Cardinals, at least this year in 2019. Just from what we're seeing so far in camp with the capability with the hands, and obviously, again, with the quarterback, Kyler Murray, which is where a lot of this ultimately does center around, John. If Josh Rosen was the quarterback of this team, I would probably have a lot more worry because I would feel like you would need to have a, not all pro, obviously, but a very competent, solid offensive line built around him just because he did not have the capability that we saw last year to, outside of a handful of times, be able to extend plays in the pocket and be able to make plays on the move. 
I think it's an offensive friendly, offensive friendly offensive line. Does that make sense schematically? Uh, much more than yes. we saw last year. Um, I think from a talent perspective, it's okay. Um, again, we don't. I think Pro Football Focus rated it the 27th ranked offensive line, but mm-hmm. I will say that I mean that's that's five spots better than I thought they would be. Um, I will say that they basically said what you said, Blake. If if majority of the offensive line can stay healthy and you are seeing a scenario in which, you know, you're getting 14 games out of Humphreys, you're getting 14, 15 games out of somebody like Justin Pugh, I, I think that they believe um, – I think it was actually um, from Establish the Run, not Pro Football Focus, which Establish the Run, if you don't know, is – uh, run by Evan Silva now, who used to be at Roto World, who's fantastic, him and another guy. Um, and the write-up was basically talking about the Cardinals' projected offensive line is health or lack of health based in terms of whether or not mm. they can be successful. And then they even highlighted a couple guys we've talked about, A.Q. Shipley, Max Garcia, then Lamont Gilliard, who they who they really actually like and think he'll make the roster but they have optimism in this unit elevating out of the bottom feeder tier. Then the rest begins with Kugler. We've mentioned his um, impact taking over as the position coach. He's got 29 years of coaching experience under his belt, including with the Steelers. When Gilbert was drafted there in 2011, um, for those of you who didn't know that, Kugler played a vital role in the development of Giants' second-round pick, Will Hernandez, which cuts deep mm-hmm. because I know we both loved him out of UTEP. Yep. And, and I, I, this, is, this is another point I think is, is worth noting. Kugler did an impressive job with the Broncos' interior offensive line last year, which with, for the most part had a couple you know, unheralded players and led the way for a Pro Bowl season for undrafted free agent Phil Perlinzi. Uh, um, so... He said Arizona went to work to patch together this unit free agency in the draft, but the same issues remain. Availability, which we talked about. If they can get their Mm -hmm. tackles to churn out 12-plus games and let Kugler work on the development of the interior and and Humphreys, there may be something here worth building on past 2019. So uh, I think there's optimism, of course. I just get consistently tired, and I don't mean to to beat a dead horse here. I, I I don't like the lack of sense of urgency when it comes to um, DJ Humphreys and the fact that at the end of the day, you don't have a viable option behind him and you're just assuming he's going to be fine and play 14 plus games when in reality he averages roughly nine if you take away his rookie season where he didn't play at all. And I think it, it goes down to something like six. Um, and the fact that you had a rookie quarterback last year who played well his first couple starts, and then as the offensive line started to deteriorate and become practice level bad, he became inept. And I think that you can correlate the fact that Rosen's play again. We talk about schematically how terrible they were, and that's that's a fault of Wilkes and Mike McCoy. But I I will say this for those of you who are pissed off about the lack of compensation that they got for Josh Rosen. His stock was at an all-time low, and I contribute mm-hmm. that because Blake, we saw him play well against Seattle. You know, we yeah. saw him play pretty well against San Francisco early on. He became unwatchable at the end of the season because their offensive line was practice, practice level, practice squad bad, preseason yeah. level bad. No, no quarterback's gonna, not even Kyler Murray's gonna do well beyond behind that offensive line, and and 
it led to people selling their stock right away on Rosen. And of course, Rosen always needed a quality offensive line to succeed, but you know where I'm getting at here. So it just, it frustrates me um, to see the lack of resources be put on this unit. But I do think that Kime has maybe one or two additions up his sleeve in this um, preseason claim process period Mm -hmm. cuts, maybe even a trade. Um, So I think that they are in a position where they can be really alert. And again, they, they claimed Desmond Harrison and didn't work out, but that shows you that they were looking for a potential um, sub starter or even a starter at some point. So I, again, nobody, I'm not rooting for anybody to not have success a la DJ Humphreys, but I am a realist when I've seen it year in and year out where he consistently doesn't practice or leaves a game, you know, on a, on an injury, you know, cart or, or whatever walks to the locker room. And I just, you know, we, we were very sensitive with the likes of Kyler Murray and him not taking the beating. I hope we're sensitive to it. I am that Rosen took last year. And I know that the quickest way to derail a rookie's confidence or to derail the, the promise of a young season is to watch your franchise quarterback go down. And I get it. Murray's never been hurt, but he also played behind Oklahoma's offensive line, which was probably the best offensive line in the country um, in, a, in a conference that didn't play a whole heck of a lot of defense. Um, so this is a little bit different. You're going to go against the likes of Aaron Donald and the Rams front seven, Seattle and Pete Carroll's front seven. San Francisco has completely redone their, their defensive line with multiple studs. And the Cardinals are kind of swinging for a hope and a prayer. And again, I, I love the addition of Kingsbury and Murray is going to add a lot of excitement. But at the end of the day, if you can't pass protect for this guy, it's just, it's not going to work out this year or moving forward. But hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully everybody plays, you know, 16 games and it's, it's a moot point. Yeah. And that's where I, just from today, I can say at least from seeing in person. And that's the toughest thing is, you know, first practice, no pads guys can get near. There was one play where Chandler Jones, it kind of ended up getting bumped into Kyler where it's like the, it looked like it was just that the pass had been batted down, but you know, you never want to end up having that be the case where you even touch the quarterback and he got bumped into, but it's hard to be able to say that there's both kind of this idea of one, we've learned that you can't really trust what you can see in the praying camp and the practices, but there are things that you can at least glean from from guys at least like that where you can at least take a look at like we knew last year Sam Bradford you can tell right away does not have the arm strength to be able to push it more than 15 yards downfield when he did it was picked off or just floated there's little things you can take away at least one of the takeaways I had was I'm a little bit less concerned about that as far as if they can keep the pressure away from him up front in the pocket there were subtle movements, a lot of things that were really just kind of the idea of, you know, the timing and getting it out where there's less concern that I had if they can kind of meet some of those little things of keeping him clean up front with that interior pressure. Uh, I think you can flash back to the Alabama game with Quinn and Williams running up the middle, at least Kyler having to then kind of bail the pocket and move out on the run. Uh, if you can get to that spot where you can protect him up front with those big three guys in Shipley uh, or Cole, uh, alongside with Pew and with Sweezy. If that ends up being the case where those three can protect and do well, you think back to that 2015 Bruce Arian season, they didn't really have that impressive a team. Now, they had a pro bowler that season in Mike Yapati, but he wasn't ever a quality pass protector. He was more of a guy who could carve open holes for Chris Johnson and David Johnson. But you had him, you had Lyle Senline, the old aging vet. That was kind of, I think, his last year in the NFL, unless I'm mistaken. He even came back in camp for that. 
And then you had a veteran journeyman guy who was over who um, I believe he was at the – I'm not sure if he's with the Falcons at least now for the most part. But um, uh, you were able to have that with your right guard at least being in – oh, gosh, it's not Alan Fanica at least. I'll come to me in a minute. But you didn't have to necessarily have, you know, all pro guys. You're able to go in. Carson Palmer wasn't nearly as mobile, but they right. were able to get the job done. So if you can get the job done with these three guys, John, you'll be fine. If they get hurt and they're not consistent, that's the thing about that 2015 roster. There was not a guy who missed a game that entire season except for Bobby Massey missing the first two games of the year. Now, they got beat up, obviously, and got wrecked in the the, uh, Panthers game at the end of the season with that pressure, obviously. But that was what we saw when they had that consistent offensive line play throughout the year. They stayed healthy. You saw success. In further years, they got hurt. They got injured. Did not have that same type of success. But what I I even will say, David's breakout season in 2016, I mean, they ran a traditional offense with Arians with a group on the offensive line. I mean, hum, that was probably Humphrey's best season was year two. And I think he played double-digit games and, and went up to Seattle, and they, they played pretty well in that game. They ended up winning at the end of the year. But um, And, of course, David went for his near-MVP type of season, and they were playing a lot of practice-level guys and it just kind of was a hodgepodge of guys i think shipley and and humphreys were really the only two constants on that offensive line late in the year um so i i think that the notion that david can't run hard and make um guys miss and he needs an offensive line to succeed i think that's hogwash i think from a schematical standpoint you know running an eight or nine man box last year is really what led to him having a you know, the poor season that he had from a yards per carry perspective. So if there's anybody I think who's going to benefit from this um, new scheme, I think it's it's DJ more than anybody else. I just I think that he is going to be back to a thousand yards rushing, potentially a thousand yards receiving double digit touchdowns, um, you know, 15, 16, 17, that type of season. I just think he, he is going to be the one I think a lot of people from a national perspective aren't keen on um, because I think they just saw what took place last year. And I'll give DJ credit, too, just like I'll give Mason Cole credit. Those those two guys stuck it out last year, played every game, uh, took the beating, um, mm-hmm. along with Rosen, and, and are here this year and, and, you know, fighting in this new offense. So um, I, I, I'm excited about DJ's development in, in Kingsbury's offense, not to get off on a on mm-hmm. a different route here but i just from an offensive line perspective i think it was less about the offensive line clearly that was a problem and from i think he probably hurt more than anybody from a schematic standpoint yeah i would agree at least because everything we see from him here is you know he's getting swing passes out and then again as as i said earlier one thing that will help a lot with the running game also will help with pass protection is if your defense is having to spread out because you're running five wide not only does it mean that David Johnson's going to end up getting a lot of, you know, one-on-one areas where he just has to force one man to miss, but it also means that you're not going to really be able to blitz Kyler Murray because as soon as you blitz him, he'll invite the blitz because there's a guy in that vacated area you're blitzing from that's going to be now wide open that he can hit on a quick swing route. And that was the one thing that stood out to me was how much Cliff Kingsbury was drilling guys uh, on the slant routes on all those different types of quick swing outs to the running backs. And what it effectively does is if you look at last year when Josh Rosen was blitzed, he had one of the worst passer ratings in the NFL. And the reason why is because guys couldn't separate. There were long developing routes. And you think of a lot of the plays that they ran, they had guys running on two-man routes. In other words, you're talking about 
you leave in your offensive line is in there. You've got two tight ends that are there and you've got two wide receivers that are running on an out route. And so you have to kind of wait for them to be able to clear, to show up or be able to hit. And the offensive line was getting manhandled. The tight ends were having to block a guy like a Von Miller. It's poor design. Or right up the middle, you were having pressure where he's instantly under pressure and has nowhere to go with the football. The Falcons game in particular stands out with this. Or even on four-man routes, you would have, you know, four men would run up to the ball off of the line, get kind of that line, and then kind of come back and wait for the ball. Effectively, what we're doing is, you know, if you've got four, you know, guys who are covering them and man, all of a sudden you're like, wait, let's do the math here. Four guys can cover that. They're not separating. That means that there's seven players that's left there to work with, including the one safety who's back. Gosh, they could send six guys at Josh Rosen, and he would just have to just bear the sack. So it was just poor design, whereas this identity now that you'll have is, as long as you've got a guy who can process fast enough, the best way you can at least think of it is like Kurt Warner, when he had a blitz that was there when Carson Palmer was being blitzed, you would have guys that would be open and available at least um, – and I think that's one of the things that you'll see in this Cardinals offense is part of what Cliff Kingsbury and why he had such little pressure was gone as quarterbacks is because he finds guys who are very, very, very quick to just get the ball out fast. And that's what we've talked about a lot. It's a common thing with the Patriots offense. You always wonder, wow, well, Tom Brady never gets sacked. Well, it's because they get the ball out fast. You blitz Tom Brady, you can't do it. So you got to get pressure with four guys on him. And that's what we've seen in the teams that, were able to beat the Patriots or limit them as always. Same story. Their four pass rushers were better than your five offensive linemen, and that's those teams went out to beat. The Cardinals, I think, at least we can shift a little bit to the defense here. Um, they've got kind of their big four starters that are set. You've got Chandler Jones, at least on one side, Terrell Suggs on the other. And up the middle, you've got Corey Peters. And Darius Phylon seems to already be kind of in a starting role. Rodney Gunter was seemingly to run with the second team along with new addition Zach Allen, who seems to be kind of the defensive lineman running maybe behind Corey Peters, which is, honestly, John, that's probably good. You would rather have him be there. You've got other defensive linemen, I know, on the Cardinals roster who potentially could end up, you know, being in those different spots. You've got a lot of veteran guys who've bounced around the the league, just kind of some of the names that you could pop up at least as far as with, you know... um, Defensive end, you've uh, got a lot of tackles for the most part that are there. Really, you only have, you know, Zach Allen, Strong Bailey, Michael Dogby at least didn't seem to get a whole lot of reps, but they're really, really relying on Zach Allen. We know they had a first-round grade on him. They're kind of putting him at least in that uh, role where if Darius Phylon does go down, they'll be trusting that rookie to essentially take over that spot. So it's very interesting to me at least with um, – the fact that they are going to have a, a decent bit of depth, at least, at that defensive end position. So that's something that, at least to me, was encouraging. It's not like you're you know, having an undrafted free agent in front of him. At least it seems like that they're trusting him enough to take that spot. Um, hopefully he doesn't get to that sense of the case, but when the rotation comes in, I do think that it is at least one encouragement is that Zach Allen at least does seem to be. Not that he's getting you know the first team reps, um, but they do at least seem to have enough depth in that spot where when we talked about last year with the run game, as soon as Rodney Gunter went out, you had Corey Peters effectively holding things open for Rodney Gunter to kind of take over, but they still had so many issues with that in the linebacker position. And um, we'll see how that goes this year with Hassan Reddick. He's in kind of that uh, prove-it year where if he doesn't step up and solidify that spot or if you end up seeing issues with Jordan Hicks and staying healthy, could go downhill pretty quickly for the Cardinals, at least if we saw that last year at the inside linebacker position as well. 
let's let's switch over at least the topic because we have gone so far at least from uh, my count we've gotten about almost an hour into the show so far um there's a couple of things i think we can hit on as far as with positional stuff like jermaine brock still seems to be the slot corner and in, in you know when they've got the second corner that's there in nickel can still talk a little bit about chris jones had a couple of interceptions in practice he seems to be coming along and not that he'll be a starter but that he might have a spot on the 53 for him as well i think we need to at least spend um time talking about two topics the first one is i do think that this team is going to miss patrick peterson maybe more than we're thinking just because of the ability of him being a shutdown corner and it's no knock on robert alford um, it's not that he got beat or is anything but it just shows that the talent peterson has is something i think that will be very interesting and the second is we need to talk about kyler 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 because that was the biggest takeaway that you had from camp was the fact that he made enough throws that made you just go wow and the fact that he looked so ready so prepared in the scheme as far as with his processing and decisiveness the only way i can really sum it up is john it looked like it was a guy who i had to remind myself that this is a rookie in his first open training camp practice because he did not look that way at all. It was incredibly impressive what he at least did as far as with the play and the scheme with his throws. And it's kind of hard to understand. I think Dave Pash even said it best. He said, you know, if the first practice of training camp there's not even pads on, you best not to overreact. But uh, (laughs) I kind of feel like I want to overreact here. Wow. And that was exactly kind of the feeling that I had overall, John. It was... Hard to understate that Murray looked very, very impressive overall, at least for that one. It's going to be really hard not to overreact just with what he showed in this first practice. Yeah, I think that everybody's excited, right? I think statistically he missed his first two throws of the day and didn't miss another throw since. And one of those, I think, was a drop maybe. Um, Again, I think people underrate his completion percentage. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. He is not... Michael Vick, in that sense, he is a refined pocket passer who just so happens to have elite mobility and speed and a top 10 arm in this league. Um, But he can make all the intermediate throws, and that was on display today. He has taken full ownership of this offense. Um, He, uh, of course, is way ahead of the learning curve. I mean, we remember things last year about Rosen and – Mike McCoy and then trying to do too much at once. And clearly, you know, he wasn't, he was ready for it from a, from a schematic standpoint and from an intellectual standpoint, but it was just very new to him. Um, Whereas this is just second nature to Kyler. This is going to be very similar to what he did at the college level. Um, Just, you know, refined for, you know, NFL defenses. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, this combination is not going to work out because Kyler doesn't understand, you know, he can't read a defense or he can't run this offense. The, there is the, the reason this pick happened, you know, everybody knows at this point is because of the way that the Cardinals believe the NFL is trending, mm-hmm. that being to more of a pass happy spread offense, collegiate style of play where yes, you still need traditional, you know, snaps under center at, at times. But if you, if you're able to take uh, an individual like a Mahomes or a Peterson or a Russell Wilson, who has the unique ability or excuse me, or uh, Kyler Murray, who has a unique ability to make plays outside of the pocket and can extend the play, especially when we talk about the the decrease of quality offensive linemen that the league has seen recently. You're able to get the ball out quickly 
we, we've talked about the short intermediate passing game sometimes taking over for what the running game used to. Tom Brady does that in New England. Um, the Cardinals have one of the, the best pass catching backs in football. So it just it was a recipe for success. We we talked about consistently what it's going to take for this offense to to become what we hope it can become. And I think it's a couple of things. It's it's Kyler Murray and, and his understanding and, and um, comfort level. And I think that's evident already. And then it's health on the offensive line. And then it's the, you know, acceleration of the development of these skilled players, specifically receiver. And so as we see that come come to fruition, I mean, we go back and you talk about debuts for quarterbacks that we've seen pop at this level based on their athleticism. We and two of the instances I can think of debuts against the Cardinals. We talk about Russell Wilson in 2012, Cam Newton the year before in 2011, both put on, you know, big time shows at the university of Phoenix stadium at the time um, and went on to have really nice rookie seasons um, and have turned into, I mean, Russell Wilson's a top five quarterback cam uh, on any given year could be an MVP candidate. So I, I expect the same kind of production from Kyler Murray outside of injury, knock on wood. I think this, his size is the only thing that can, that can hold him back. Blake, I think if he is uh, able to stay healthy throughout the duration of this season and moving forward, I, I firmly believe he's he's a franchise quarterback. To what level, I don't know, but I think he's got. You know, at the end of the day, when you go first overall, you have to possess unique physical gifts and abilities that others do not have. And I get it; it wasn't the greatest quarterback class. It wasn't comparable, I don't think, to last year's quarterback class. But I think we both agree: if Kyler had come out last year and been uh, lumped into that group, I think there'd probably be discussion with him with with Baker Mayfield for first overall. I think Baker probably would have gone ahead of him just because of his pedigree, the the lack of questions around football, the fact that he had been playing, or excuse me, around baseball, the fact that he'd been playing football longer. I think Kyler would have been in that discussion with Sam Darnold for the Jets. I think he would have been in the discussion for a top five pick. I think he would have been ahead of obviously Rosen and Lamar Jackson. So <laughs> the Ky- Giants Ky- would have still passed on a quarterback. Yeah, probably because they would have done that this year too. You know, they had Daniel Jones as quarterback one, and oh gosh, I don't know what to make of that. But anyway, it's it's, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? But yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head. I think that this this training camp, you've already seen it. Just just in in. How the the fan, not the fan base, because I think the majority of the fan base accepted Rosen last year. I think the team was even hesitant to hand over Rosen the keys to the franchise, unlike what they're doing with Murray now. I mean, Murray's on all the promotional stuff. He's in every video. Um, you can you can even just this the excitement around the team and the 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 vibes around it is just very different. Last year, you just felt yeah. like you had to go through the slog that was Sam Bradford. Because that's how they do things in the NFL with the likes of Wilkes and McCoys. You let the veteran play a couple games, then you ease Rosen into the starting lineup. And I just I love the just the flipping on the the flipping of the switch with the likes of Kingsbury and Murray. I mean, we heard Bruce Arians come out today and said, I didn't really like playing rookies my first couple of years in Arizona, especially early on. Now, you know, I think it's mandatory based on where the, these a lot of these rookies are yeah. at. And I think that's true. I mean, Kyler Murray to me from a physical gift standpoint is a top, at least top 16 quarterback right now. I mean, I think most, I was asking a buddy of mine fantasy for sure. Right. For sure. I was asking a buddy of mine who's a Detroit lions fan, diehard lions fan, and considers Matthew Stafford to be their best quarterback in franchise history. I said, would you trade Matthew Stafford for Kyler Murray straight up? Now contracts would be in play. The Cardinals would have to take on Stafford's remaining years. um, And Stafford's in his early thirties. And they would get Kyler Murray, and he said, I would absolutely do that. Kyler Murray, his upside is really high. 
you talk about him on a rookie contract that he's not going to get paid for at least four more years. Mm-hmm. You talk about that Super Bowl window, whereas, you know, guys that are in the to early to mid teens, the Daltons, the Staffords, the Cousins, those kind of players, you just you feel like you're running in place. At least with Kyler Murray, you feel like the upside is there that you could conceivably with his winning pedigree at the college level. If the Cardinals hit on a couple drafts, if Kingsbury is able to work from an offensive standpoint, the Cardinals could be back in contention within a couple seasons. A lot has to go right, but at least you feel that with Kyler. I'm not sure the team ever felt that with Josh Rosen. As much yeah. as I loved Rosen, I, I felt like they always felt like he had a significant ceiling. Whereas, you know, you've heard Steve Kimes say it time and time again, and then Kingsbury's comments last October. He said, I'd pick Kyler Murray first overall. I think he's a transcendent talent. And, you know, nobody should be surprised with him. He should have success in training camp. He should he should put on a show um, and light up this defense. One, because it's not very good right now. And then two, because just that's the kind of player we expect. I'd be concerned if he wasn't, Blake. Yeah, I think that that was the biggest thing that I remember was just the contrast of from where we've had as far as with Cardinals fans coming in to see the camp last year to where it was this year because the the way that it shook out for the Arizona Cardinals uh, last year, when I went to camp, the entire feeling, at least, and I came back, talked about this on the show, talked about it with you, John, I'm uh, looking up kind of some of the, seeing if I can find the exact comments that I had. The biggest thing I said was, went there, saw Josh Rosen, saw Sam Bradford, and that Josh Rosen is not ready. That was the biggest takeaway that we had, at least from everything I came away from the first one, was that Josh Rosen's not ready right now. He might be ready, but he's not ready and he's not there right now. And that's what became worrisome because I remember that it was week three, at least for that. There was rumors that Josh Rosen might come in at least on, after Sam Bradford started coming. And people like, Blake, Rosen's coming. Are you excited? And I said, no, I'm terrified because he was coming in in this must win game situation as a cold quarterback, effectively having to you know, go out and win the game in his first start. It was just so much pressure that was put on because the Cardinals were so bad that they're like, hey, we can't even stop the Bears to get you into a good spot. We can't even, you know, return this punt properly. Everything was basically being handed to it because of the complete ineptitude of the the previous team, the regime that was there in charge. So that's what was rough and most disappointing to me was how uh, it was handled for Rosen. But it's also something looking back with how Rosen played and who he is as a quarterback and and just the issues, at least, that kind of, I think, were present. The biggest one I noticed as far as just as a contrast, and you can even look at some of this today I looked up with, Josh Rosen, some of the reports that they had on him will kind of back up at least the idea that the Cardinals probably made the right choice pretty clearly. You look at him, he threw a red zone interception today. They had two times that he kind of made some sort of mistakes of a thing called the, I guess it's the TNT wall. It's like takes no talent where the idea is, hey, takes no talent to like say throw an interception or do something at least. And it's kind of like a... Uh, a system that they're they're at least doing with their coaching staff. Um, he was stripped of the ball at least for those ones, but and he had a, there was a near interception. But there was also an area where he threaded a needle for a perfect touchdown to a tight end in eleven on eleven play. So that was the one thing that's interesting is it's like you still are not saying that Josh Rosen effectively is like a complete doom or a busted pick or something like a say Paxton Lynch was for the Denver Broncos, where you know he didn't even they didn't even trust him to start a game for the most part. He unfortunately, also had to deal with Mike McCoy. But just comparing that today with Kyler Murray, with what he did, we saw a quarterback, at least what I went and I saw from Kyler Murray was he's a quarterback who processes incredibly quickly, where he just sees things and boom, the ball is out. Whereas with Rosen, you got to see there were things that were a lot slower. You got to see more of the 
Swiss Army knife as far as with Murray being able to throw from multiple angles. Um, the fact that he just he looked ready, like because he knew the offense was there. That was one of the biggest things. Um, there was never a chance where the, the ball really even came close to being intercepted. Like you know, normally you'd see that there would be throws that could be going, and then a cornerback you know sees it comes back. The placement that he had, the touch, the accuracy, and the velocity that was there was. It's hard to be able to describe, but just how improved it was as far as from what the Cardinals had. What I said, at least, and tweeted out was that you haven't seen anything like this, at least for the Cardinals, since Carson Palmer. Uh, There would be times, at least, where the ball would just be, boom, there, and it was exactly where it needed to be, whether it was in stride, whether it was, you know, uh, trying to go on the deep shot, at least. One of the more impressive ones I had, and this is kind of where I understood, I I guess you can say why some people were surprised when... Cardinals players compared him to Patrick Mahomes. There was a play where Murray was back, at least. It was a long play where he got, you know, it's probably too much time in the pocket, but Christian Kirk broke free, and it was this sudden kind of boom, boom, where all of a sudden it was like about 40 yards out, and the ball is just immediately right on Christian Kirk in the end zone. And so to have that type of velocity and that power where it's right there, it was just one of those wow throws. And you could hear from some of the fans that were around were feeling giddy, some of the Arizona sports radio hosts you were listening to see those throws and they started getting giddy. And so it's just the talent level that you're seeing, at least for the most part, is obviously going to be, you know, the number one takeaway. And this is kind of the spot of if this is, you know, everything that it's taken up to be, it's not that you're having to look at a Lamar Jackson who is electric as a playmaker, but struggles throwing the ball. You're talking about a guy who's coming in and could potentially play at what you would call maybe not a complete elite level, but at a high level from day one. And John, that's very encouraging to Cardinals fans, even if the team doesn't end up winning a lot. And, one of the things that also is helpful and encouraging for is since Larry Fitzgerald went out, he still showcased today at least that he's still that same Larry Fitz. He's still at a play where he caught a ball in stride across the middle. And then the big highlight of practice, at least for the most part, was you know the one-handed essentially catch on the sideline that he made. And so with the volume that you're going to get from all the plays that are on this year, I would not be shocked if Fitzgerald has his best year in quite a couple of seasons. I don't know if you can say career year because obviously he's much older than he was, but because there's going to be so many passes in so many areas and because he's in such a pivotal role, I would not be shocked at all if, you know, he goes up and has another thousand yard season potentially, because I don't think that he, it doesn't seem like he's slow to step and he seems like that they've got this offense in a perfect fit for him where they're going to get him into one-on-one coverage. You're not going to see, you know, Fitz doubled up like he was with a safety and another player at the end of the Niners game where he took that big hit where Josh, you know, Threw over him slightly. He goes up, made an incredible catch, got them into the range where they were able to make that play for the win. Um, I do think that this obviously is uh, Larry Fitzgerald, I think, said it. He said, hey, this is Kyler's team now, and anyone who doesn't agree is going to have to get on board with that. And that was, I think, the most encouraging thing is that when you at the end of the day, it was a, a wild quarterback making wild throws. And that's something of where throughout all this that we talked about, John, this team has never had that level of having just a franchise quarterback in general for a long period of time, much less having one with as much talent as Kyler Murray. And I think it's going to be really fun for Cardinals fans to be able to, you know, get to see in person, get to see the wow throws, the the run on a, he had a keeper that went around the corner, at least for the most part that it was interesting. It was, he only ran one time, didn't scramble, just kind of stayed in the pocket. He was a pass first quarterback. There was one design run where he was wide open. Not a single guy was, anywhere near to make a hit or a tackle on him, picked up 30 yards, just running kind of down the field. And that to me was one of the other takeaways I had was this seems like Cliff Kingsbury's goal is he doesn't want to, you know, run Kyler Murray, you know, 20 times a game. Maybe that'll be part of the surprise that they won't show that too often, but it feels like he's much more built wanting to protect his quarterback. He doesn't want to, you know, have the four to five years at least of go, go for broke that most teams are 
for you too. So I was encouraged overall from a lot of aspects, John. Now the negatives you'll have to see obviously is going to be we don't know where the defense is at as far as the coverage. You don't know where they'll be without Peterson, and we don't know what it'll be like when Kyler can take some of those hits and what it'll look like. And most people again are still projecting the Cardinals to have a top five pick, but uh, if they do end up with a top five pick, it's going to be one of the most fun teams in a long time to to have a top five pick. I'll say, and I honestly have a feeling that they're not going to be picking there after. All this, John. I'd like to say to buy. I think some of it may be buying into the hype, but you know, look at last year with the Buccaneers, and they were an incredibly fun and super productive offensive team that just kept turning the ball over and then couldn't stop anyone in the secondary. I don't think the Cardinals will have the problem with the first one. The only question I'll have is on the latter: Are they going to be able to, uh, you know, protect enough, get enough, all that pressure? That's stuff that remains to be seen, John. Yeah, and can I can I just say something with regard to expectations? And I don't want to pile on the Arizona media um, because I think a lot of those guys do a good job uh, with the coverage of the team. But can we, can we stop asking Kyler who has a a winning pedigree by all accounts? I don't think he lost a high school game and I get it. That's not anything to write home about, but he was, he was in the final four last year with no defense at the college level to consistently be on him and and asking him expectations. What are you going to do if you're not 500 this season? I, I, I'm concerned, Blake, and I know it's really early, but just the the history of this franchise and the non-culture of winning, um, Kyler is going to have to change that on his own, and I think he knows that. But from a media standpoint, can we stop harping on it like it's a, you know, it's a huge weight on his shoulder? I mean, the team really should have its own expectations for themselves outside of public perception. They've already bottomed out. Can we not consistently talk about like what's going to happen if you don't hit 500? Then they're not going to hit 500. Then they're not going to be a playoff team. But you know what? I've seen plenty of rookies come into this league and play well and elevate their team and exceed expectations. I mean, it's not even the preseason yet, and and we're talking about, you know, what if you fail for this year? That's just such, that's such a like, yeah. That's a typical Cardinal media. We've seen it. And I get it. There, a lot of these guys are probably scarred from previous experiences covering the team. But it's just like Kyler knows what went on last year. He knows that this team has more losses in NFL history than any other franchise. It's one of, I think, eight teams, eight to ten teams that have never won a Super Bowl. He gets that. But he's very soft-spoken. I love how he handles the media. He's very direct. Um, is it, it doesn't have too much of a bravado. I think Baker Mayfield gets criticized a lot for that. And Kyle's or Kyler's very even keeled, but can we stop just harping on like, Hey, this team is a perennial loser, blah, blah, blah. And I know they didn't say that in so many words, but like, let's just, let's let Kyler play football and set his own expectations for this franchise. The Seahawks never won anything, uh, in terms of Super Bowl championships before Russell Wilson, it takes the Mm -hmm. right kind of guy to get you over the hump and, and to take a team to, to that next level. And everybody's hoping Kyler can be that, but let's just not, let's not inundate him with like, what, what's going to happen if you don't get to eight and eight this year, then they're not going to be eight and eight. But you know what? I, I bet Kyler's expectations are that they're going to go out and win because you know what? A losing culture is the last thing that Kyler needs to sense right now, especially when I don't want to bring this up every podcast, but like, He's got an ace in his back pocket and that being professional baseball. And if he gets his ass kicked <laughs> from an offensive line that can't block and is, is sucked into a culture that has never historically won, he's got an opportunity to leave. 
So let's let's let him play football and take ownership of this team and not be let's be excited about the young players. Let's be excited about what we see from Cliff Kingsbury. Let's not talk about well, what's going to happen when you guys aren't very good this year? Well, you know what? That's, that remains to be seen how good they are based on really Kyler's play. So let's let his his play for, speak for itself. And that's the end of my rant on that. But I just <laughs> – that, that kind of stuff, when I see it in my Twitter – Kyler answered it perfectly. He's like, I, I don't expect to lose. So just d- dumb questions like that. Can we not do that, please, Arizona media? <laughs> well, I think part of the story comes up because you uh... – you have a coach who had a losing record in college in Cliff Kingsbury. Now you also had a coach who, when you look at his track record, essentially yeah, let had Kingsbury answer offense. those questions. I'm fine with that. But Kyler yeah. Murray's, I think, lost one time in his football career. He lost last year's, or excuse me, he's lost Alabama twice. and then yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah. lost to te- lost to Texas and lost to Alabama and then never lost to high school. Yeah, so I think that's where, for me, what I'll say at least with the baseball area is uh, when you look at everything. That's what's most fascinating to me is that. Kyler's got the chance to be a, you know, he's drafted top 10 in both sports, but when it comes down to it, you're looking at a guy who's potentially got that level to be an elite level type quarterback, because again, there's not going to be the sense of accuracy, the sense of velocity, or the ability of touch in addition to the way that he's able to process things so quickly and, you know, his overall ability to move around and make plays outside of structure. That's kind of an area where I think that his, you know, upside as far as in football for that type of skill set he has will outweigh baseball where he's got, you know, the arm to be able to play center field and the speed, um, even with the hitting. But as far as the long road to get there, like he's in a spot where right now he's essentially, as you said, John, maybe takes over as a top 16 quarterback as early as this season, whereas in baseball, it would be maybe a four to five year type road. And then even then, as far as with that second contract, as we've seen, even with uh, the local team, the Diamondbacks even signed Cattell Marte to, I think it's like about what, a $25 million deal. And he was an all-star player this year is probably the face of the franchise. Whereas you're hoping, at least if you're a Kyler Murray, that within five years from now, you're going to be getting paid 40 million a year to play quarterback. And if I'm the Cardinals, I am all for hoping that you can get a quarterback that that's good. That's that good you're able to pay that much so I think at least as far as with how it goes it is going to ultimately fall on how Cliff Kingsbury does it is going to be up to him this is ultimately their choice the good news at least is they've got the exact perfect mesh of quarterback and system where if it does fail then it was something where it was never going to succeed almost no matter what it did for one reason or for another Um, but overall at least like I agree with you John let's take a moment to at least as Cardinals fans to say, let's get excited about something. Last year, we finally got something to get excited over uh, after the 2016 and 17 season ended poorly. Let's get excited at least over the fact that when Josh Rosen came in last year, that they at least had a young quarterback they could develop who did show flashes. Now they've got a young quarterback who's not, you know, there's clearly the best talent on the field since Carson Palmer has been there, and, and it's not close. Let's at least go ahead and be able to get excited about that for Cardin- as Cardinals fans. And obviously, there's a long way to still go here with the rest of the practice, the preseason, the regular season, the next few years. But at least for right now, John, what Cardinals fans have something that they have not had for a long time. And that is they've got a lot of hope that this whole back and forth and quarterback struggles is over, at least. That's what the hope is. They had that hope last year with Josh Rosen. Unfortunately, it turned into a 3-13 and and one of the worst seasons we've ever watched. But at least from the first day of practice, at least everything you've seen from Kyler has been as advertised, if not better. And I just hope that we get to the point, as Cardinals fans, we're able to root for this team. Uh, it's able to get to a perpetual winning way in a way that they have never really had, John. 
Uh, all right, uh, we're getting nearing the end of the episode. Is there anything else as far as with either last minute, either questions or comments or things you wanted to make for the most part as we kind of wrap it up here? I know we'll probably have another episode or two um, kind of going over at least maybe a little bit next week. We'll have a little bit more news that's coming out. Obviously, the red-white practice is coming up. Um, that'll be one of the areas I'll be back for that for. Um, anything else you have? Or are there articles that you're working on for the most part, John? Uh, that well, you I just mentioned? Yeah, I'll plug an article I wrote uh, a couple days ago just talking about the the, the the depressing nature of the 2017 NFL draft and I think how it still haunts the Arizona Cardinals as a franchise um, and the fact that the team just opted not to move up for a quarterback in a quarterback-rich draft. And I talk about Mahomes and Watson and how both of them were available after pick pick nine and the Cardinals of course were pick 13 and took Hassan Reddick and it's, you know, salt in the root wound that we're entering uh, Hassan Reddick's year three. He doesn't have a stable position yet. He's underperformed, um, you know, his first two years. Mahomes is obviously an MVP candidate and Watson um, has been exceptional when he's played. And even Trubisky who was overdrafted number two overall uh, set some bare passing records last year and was a missed field goal away from going to the divisional round. So check that piece out if you haven't already. It's just, I don't mean to be Mr. Negative Nancy uh, with my first couple <laughs> comms on the site, but I would, you know, I do like to write stuff that makes people think a little bit outside the box. And I don't, you know, I'm you you, you listen to us on this podcast, you know, we're we're not here to write fluff stories or be, you know, cheerleaders for the team. I mean, we'll be open <laughs> and honest about you know what we see and how we you know depict the franchise, and I, we want them to do better. We want them to have sustained success. We we want Kyler Murray to work out, but I think you and I both can can say with certainty that back in 2017, we both thought Mahomes was maybe the mm-hmm. best player in that draft class. We've talked about it numerous times. Um, and the local media in Arizona mocked that notion. They liked Nathan Peterman. I mean, it's on the record. They, they, they had just, I want the fan base high self-esteem to be reflected within the, the local media and the team. I want them to have a, a self-esteem where they feel like, you know, they can have sustained success. I just, for whatever reason that those two things don't coincide. And so when, you know, when we write pieces on the site and we're critical of the franchise, not because we're not rooting for players or coaches or Kime or whomever, it's just like, you know, mistakes happen and people need to be held accountable. So um, that's, that's just the, the motto that I'm going to take when I, when I write these pieces, but yeah, the 2017 draft, the repercussions are still very much, being felt with this team. They've, they've gone through one of the most embarrassing quarterback debacles in recent memory, you know, dating back to Bradford, Glennon, and the 20 plus million they sunk into those two individuals that both um, were eventually not even factors on the team mid season. And then the Rosen trade up, eventually trading him for essentially pennies on the dollar, taking Murray who mm-hmm. we like, but you know, it was undersized. I mean, just a lot of things. Just, I, I don't think I've seen it to that degree in, in a calendar year. Uh, yeah. certainly <laughs> craziest I, off season, not only in franchise history, but of maybe like any NFL team. Yeah. I, I did. The fact that you took quarterbacks in the top 10 back-to-back seasons is something I'm not sure we're going to see again for a long time. Um, and that's why I thought it was, there was no chance for it to happen. So um, go check it out. Check, continue to check out Blake wrote a piece today about the marriage of Kingsbury and Murray. That'll get you excited for the season. Great job, Blake on that. But we're, uh, I'm praying for no injuries, Blake, and uh, keep yep. us posted with, with what you're seeing from camp live yep, on the same. scene. Yeah, definitely will, at least for that. Um, yeah, the biggest thing I can say just to kind of wrap it up with this is, like you talked about accountability. We talked a lot about accountability. We questioned if Steve Kime should have been held accountable for everything that the Cardinals went through last year. 
And despite everything that happened, at least for the most part, we're sitting here as Cardinals fans looking now. And what I can at least accurately say is it feels like you were driving around a Ford Pinto and you just end up kind of receiving what feels like it's like, you know, like a Ferrari. Like it feels like it's that night and day of an offensive upgrade. Now, I don't know if it's going to turn into the same type of wins, but at least the Cardinals in that aspect, at least for the most part, and even though it's, as we've talked about, have been all sorts of issues, it does feel like that they kind of are in much more capable hands now than they were last year. We get that from the head coach, be that from the defensive coordinator, be that from the overall team identity. And that's at least overall, like even there's not even a game being played, but that already feels like for me, at least it's a win right there for the Cardinals going in not saying that there's going to be areas. And if I'm going to be perfectly frank, if I kind of want to drag my Lions fans friends out there just to have them watch a practice, just because they'll be able to see the, oh dear type of a look, because that's at least where I think as Cardinals fans, we can say, hey, let's let's go, let's get excited, let's move everything. This is a team that is not, you know, key. it's not a team that's continually going out and underpaying or moving. This is a team that wants to be great, that was poor, and they went out, they made strong, concise, uh, strong, um, I guess you can say at least very decisive <laughs> moves in the off season to get to the part where they're now, where there is excitement building. And that's something that we can be uh, excited for as well as fans. Cause uh, uh, Lord knows that the, the players seem pr- plenty excited about it for the most part too. So uh, that'll wrap it up at least for us over here for today. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Um, you can find us if you have not uh, previously listened to us, uh, subscribe on iTunes, um, we're grateful, at least, to everyone who left your feedback and comments last week about with the audio quality. We're happy, at least for the most part, that that's been a, a huge improvement of being able to understand, being able to get that for you. Um, we're also, at least, grateful for those of you who listen um, uh, to us, at least around the clock, who are perpetual listeners who listen in other countries. Again, for those of you who are looking for us in Apple Podcasts, you can find us as well on Spotify. You can look for us on Google Play, Stitcher Radio. Uh, just about any place you'd look to download podcast will be there for you. Uh, make sure that you go on and have um, uh, a login at least to be able to make sure you can leave a review. Let us know how we're doing or comment and interact with us with our at ROTB pod Twitter accounts. Uh, as we sign off for tonight, John, where can the uh, cost, where can the uh, consumers of the said podcast be able to find you and your content? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. Uh, of course, the co-host of the Revenge of the Bird podcast with Blake here at ROTB Pod on Twitter. And then, of course, a contributor at SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds and at Revenge of the Birds. Blake, where can they find all of your content? Yeah, it'll be there as well as at Blake Murphy 7. Actually, I was going to say I had like another... Uh... Uh, I was going to say with the Twitter account for all that, I had to go and plug the podcast for that one since they got a couple of tweets that are kind of um, people are retweeting here. I just double checked that. It's like, oh, it's, it's doing good. So thanks to those of you guys who, again, are um, supporting with us with all that we're doing here with Revenge of the Birds. We're uh, ever so grateful that we have the opportunity to be able to uh, talk about things like this and essentially be fans with you and kind of experiencing this. We don't want this to be just me and John talk. We want to have that interaction with you guys as well. Uh, Thanks again so much for joining us. Um, Everyone take care. We'll see you guys again on the other side, at least, with more on the latest updates from Cardinals Camp 2019. Uh, The K Show, essentially, as it's being known right now for the most part, or Camp K, I guess. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all for that one. I'm really good. Uh, I'm really good with that, at least for the most part. It's uh, it's a bright new future for the Cardinals, and uh, we're feeling good. Thanks again for joining, everyone. Good stuff, man. That sounded good. I think you're on mute.